Well, good afternoon, Redemption Bible Church. <clears throat> May Christ be magnified. What a great song. And uh, so I would just say that that is exactly what I would hope for today in this service and the time that we will spend together. You know, sometimes you get called out to do something you had no idea that you were going to be going ahead and doing. <clears throat> it happens so many times in our life that we go from plan A and all of a sudden, a couple hours later, we're in plan B and then plan C. I am plan D up here today. <clears throat> and Austin let me off the hook. I only have to go eight minutes. So um, if I go anything past that, let the Lord be magnified. You know, we go through catastrophes. We go through health issues, things that we turn, that go in and happen to us. And we turn the opportunities of our life in a different direction. And that is exactly what happened to David. He was a shepherd boy, and then he was anointed king. And so we wanted to look at David a little bit today. But first, you know that Pastor <clears throat> Garrett is sick today. I told him he needed to eat more salads and get off this chicken McNuggets and, the, uh, and this pizza. And we'll see how that works. But I did go ahead and text him just an hour ago, and he said that he is doing better. He hasn't eaten in four days, but he is now getting a chance where he's going to be able to eat a little bit and that he's gonna be feeling healthier. So hopefully he'll be back next week. I thought when I had a chance to get up here again that I was gonna be able to speak on Mark 6. I never finished that. And of course I was called into service a little bit too quick. Remember Mark 4 and 5, where Jesus goes ahead and performs some mighty miracles, four huge miracles in a 24 hour period. He goes ahead and calms the sea and calms the wind. He casts out the demons from the possessed guy. He goes across the lake, and as he's going to heal Jairus' daughter, a lady comes up and touches him, and she's healed of a disease she had for 12 years. And then Jesus arrives at Jairus' and has to raise her from the dead. I wanted to get into Mark 6, because Jesus goes from there and walks off 20 miles over to Nazareth and goes back home and starts a whole new series of what happens in his life and how it works. Then I thought, you know what, maybe I'll do Daniel 11. Because that's what Daniel 11 is going to be this week, and Pastor Garrett has already prepared a message. So I've wandered away from that because Daniel 11 ends up being a lot of times, a lot of dates, a lot of future predictions of how things are going to go for a few hundred years. There's hundreds of predictions, and they're all verified by historians. So I thought, you know what? It ultimately shows God's future and that He knows the future. And he knew the future today. Amen. So I'm going to let Garrett take that one. <clears throat> that brings us to today. And it's not lost on me what a unique day this is. And I'll tell you why. Nathan and Abigail are sitting before us and candidating to be the youth pastor and family ministry leaders of the church. And we have an opportunity later to hear from him. And then we have an opportunity to meet him after church with some finger foods and all that down in the, in the uh, basement when this is all over. Two weeks ago, they both had COVID. Didn't know if you knew that, so they couldn't make it up. Last week, they came up on Wednesday and we didn't have church here because there was a church conflict and that we had the United Methodist Church had something going, so they met at the Joneses' house and it ended up being a better venue anyway. They were able to go ahead and share time together with the kids in a more cozy, less intimidating environment, just become themselves. And so 
we were lucky that with scheduling conflict actually worked out. All in God's timing is the whole point to that. Today we all get to meet them and then they get to meet us. And we are asking God to show whether they are the people for Redemption Bible Church or are they not. So I thought that this brings us to a choice and how do you choose on something as important as this? So I thought we would go through the book of Samuel a little bit. We're gonna start in 1 Samuel 8. If you have your Bibles here, I know you have your Bibles here. We're gonna turn to 1 Samuel 8 and we'll walk through some of that. This shows how man chose kings. And in chapter 7, 16, we're gonna get to that a little bit later. It showed how God picks and anoints kings. And I think this is important as they come here, that as we're going ahead and looking at them and they are looking at us, that we choose God's way of looking at them and not man's way. You know, they look good on the outside, but we need to investigate their inside and they need to investigate ours to see if we're a good fit. Would you agree with that? And so we're gonna look at that in the two Samuels and see where we're at. I'd like to pause and say that we have had conversations with Nathan on these Zoom meetings and all. They've actually been able to speak to us from 10.30 on. There were a bunch of us leaders that met at the church and we got to go ahead and ask him some questions. Uh, he wasn't intimidated by any of them. He answered them very succinctly and humbly, great character. We sincerely believe that we have taken as much of the man out of this process as we can and put it in the hands of God. We have been praying for this and I'm confident that they are praying the exact same thing, that God would know and teach them and show them where they need to be, whether it's here or not. Personally, I would like to see them here, but that's another story. By the way, Abigail, in, uh, in a few weeks, I'm gonna be talking about David and Abigail and how they went ahead and became, Abigail became David's wife. And she had great character. And so far, that's what we're seeing in you. Thank you for coming up. We appreciate it. <clears throat> we all know who David was in the Bible. He was the giant killer and he was the king. In fact, his life is described in more detail in the Bible than anybody else's life. He has 62 different chapters that define and reflect on his time and in his character. He's mentioned 56 times in the New Testament from Matthew and three other times in Revelation and all the ones in between. He wrote 73 Psalms in the book of Psalms that we have. So we all know who David is, but why is he referenced and talked about so much would be the question. And what makes him different? And I believe that all comes down to one simple statement. David had the heart of the Lord. Now we're gonna be doing a lot more in-depth study on that starting this Wednesday, a couple weeks off, and then we're gonna take that study into June and look at why David had the heart of the Lord. If he had the heart of the Lord, why would we wanna know what that is so we could have the same thing? So we'll be looking at that. And that way we can understand why God shared David's life in so many passages so that we can become very similar to what David was and in his repentance and all. Now to give you a little context to David's life and time, we need to understand that Israel had gone through a whole lot of problems. From Genesis, we had the creation all the way to Joseph in the last 15 chapters of Genesis, and they become prisoners in Egypt eventually. 400 years after that, 
Moses comes along in the book of Exodus and he goes ahead and he frees them. A few chapters, a few books over, we have Judges or Joshua. Joshua comes up and takes them after their 40 year wandering and takes them into the promised land. Isn't it interesting that people are picked at the right time to do the exact thing that God wants? I wouldn't want to have been born 150 years ago riding behind a horse in some kind of cart in the desert or whatever and, and living life like that. I wouldn't want to have to camp out and cook food on a fire. We're brought up in this spot for a certain time. And I believe that redemption was formed and is in this place at this time in this community to do some very special things. <clears throat> We're here by no accident is ultimately what I'm saying. And I know that I'm at this time right now because 40 years from now, technology is already blowing by me. I'm not gonna have a clue what they are doing in 40 years. And so I'm kind of glad that I'm at where I'm at. The next book we had was Judges. When the people were suffering the worst, God gave them judges. He had them ruling over the land and probably most of you know, you know the story of Gideon and what he did, you know, like the most important character probably is Samson, chapter 13 through 16. That guy was brute strength, but he was a knucklehead, right? Everybody knows these stories. And we had all these judges that we went through, and now we come to Samuel. I thought we'd look at Samuel 1, or 8, verse 1, and go through that. When all is said and done, Samuel is going to be the last judge Remember that Hannah couldn't have kids, so they went ahead and she dedicated him at the, at the time. The baby was just little, maybe two. And he was dedicated in there, and he was the judge of Israel for all those years. Notice that, that Samuel's sons have gotten a little bit off. Now here in 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 5, and I'd like you to read along with this. It says, when Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in the ways, but turned aside after gain, and they took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations." Notice here that Samuel's sons were so corrupt that the elders said, you know what? We can't afford to have these guys be in business around here. We can't afford for them to be judging us. We need to do something a little bit different. They wanted to be like all the other nations. You see that? He says, give us a king. Let us be like the rest of the world. We want to have a nation just like all the rest of the world. They wanted to walk away and have a different king than the king of kings and Lord of Lords. They were willing to walk away from the judges and walk away from, from uh, God being the king over them. This displeased Samuel a little bit in verse six. It says, but the thing displeased Samuel when he said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, he talked to the Lord, and he said, Be, uh, give us a king. And, Samuel, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say for you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. You notice what he says there? They didn't reject you, Saul or Samuel. They rejected me. 
Quit taking it so personal, man. They are walking away from me. They're not walking from you. And you know what? Why don't you go ahead and give them a king? So the rest of the way through Samuel 8, we go from verse 10 to 18. Samuel gives them credible reasons why they should not have a king that they picked from a human standpoint, that they should have picked somebody that God would pick. <clears throat> he tries to discourage them. Watch the stubbornness that they have in verse 19 to 22. It says, but the people refused to obey the voice of, the, of Samuel and they said, no, exclamation point. But there shall be a king over us that we also may be like the other nations that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. And Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his house. You see the human stubbornness there? They wanted a king. They wanted him picked out for the nations. And they said no with an explanation point. We don't want God no more. We want to go ahead and figure this out ourselves. We want to be like everybody else. Such a foolish move. You know, we know the easy answer to that now because we hear the history of it, but we make foolish moves like that all the time too. We make decisions on our own self and don't listen to God in many of the decisions we make. They were saying, we know better than God. And look what God says. He says, you know what? Give him a king. Let's see how that works out for him. Well, isn't that great? He says, you know what? They want to go ahead and try this? Let them try it. First Samuel 9. Verse two, which just gives a little history in verse one. But in verse two, it says, and he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any other people. He was a head taller. Everybody else stood here on him. He was handsome. You know what? That's gotta be the guy. He's the biggest one around. He's the best looking one. He's the one that we should have for the leader. Yep, we want him. That's what they end up saying. We're not gonna take the time to go through the rest of Saul's life. We're gonna have a lot of time to do that on the Wednesdays because you know what a mess up Saul was throwing spears at David and all the other chaos that goes on in his life. But we needed to go just to a little bit on 1 Samuel 15, 23 before we get into chapter 16. 1 Samuel 15. It says, For the rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption as is iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. This upset Samuel. And he says in verse 26, he says, and Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours, one who is better than you. <clears throat> There'll be plenty of time to get to know Saul. The people got their leader. And what a sad, sad effort that the, the man had. You know, we go to the end of 1 Samuel and we even find out that he is cavorting with a, a person that can look into the future, fortune teller kind of thing, and even kills himself. That's how far off this guy had gotten. <clears throat> God even says in, in one of the Psalms, I 
didn't write it down and I don't remember it. It's, um, he says, I gave you Saul, I gave you a king in my anger. I take away your king in my wrath. God gave it to him. He said, all right, let's try this. And then he got so mad, he took it away from him. That leads us to Samuel 16. Now keep in mind, we're looking at man picking a king and God picking a king. Just like we're looking at Nathan. Just like we're looking into each other. We're trying to do what God wants to do, not what man wants to do. 1 Samuel 16 and the first three verses. And the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I rejected him from being the king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, I will send to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. <clears throat> and you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. So that Samuel did that. Look at these first three verses in here. How many eyes do you see? There's seven of them, but there's only five that really count. Listen to this. It says in verse one, I have rejected him. I have provided for myself. I will send you. I will show you. I will declare to you. God is picking the king for himself. Look in the first verse. It says, I'm going to pick it for myself. Third verse, he says, me. I'm, picking, I'm declaring it and I'm picking him for me. God already had a king. And he's now going to do what should have been done in the first time that they picked the king. He's going to pick it and they're going to go ahead and, and uh, have David as their king eventually. God picks the king. You see the difference there? God's guidance. They weren't just, they would give us a king, but what they were saying is we don't want God to be our king anymore. That's ultimately what they were saying. They were turning to their own devices. Now look at verse one again. <clears throat> and I'll tell you how I read it. <laughs> it says, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being your king over Israel? He says, I'm done with Saul. Quit whining. Put on your big boy robe and let's go anoint a king. That's what he's saying there, right? And Sam is like, oh, okay. In verse four, what does it say? It says, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem and the elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? Look how faithful Samuel was. He obeyed the Lord and he said, okay, let's go in on a king. And off they go to Bethlehem. <clears throat> if they would have only listened to him the first time, they wouldn't have been in that trouble. And that's part because he was so greatly respected. Samuel had the respect of the entire country. Remember, he was the last judge. And they knew that they had, had a chance to get rid of the two sons. But here's the interesting part. And it says the elders were nervous, right? It says the elders were scared. They looked at him and said, uh-oh, what is Samuel doing here? Because he knew Samuel had the power to do whatever he wanted. <clears throat> Look in the fifth verse, it says, and he said, well, I've come peaceably. You can imagine the relief on these guys' faces. It's like, oh. Thank God. Sam is coming in peace. And in fact, he says, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. 
<clears throat> he came peaceably. You could sense their relief. But look at here. It says Jesse's family had to be consecrated. What does that mean? It means that they were so poor and that they were just part of the common family, the common people, people out of Bethlehem, that they didn't have the right to sit in front of a priest and the judge of that town. They had to be consecrated. Look at the elders. They could consecrate themselves. They had already been used to sitting in those places, in those high places. And God is saying, we need to consecrate them so that we can get on with the anointing. Isn't that interesting? Is that the elders were able to consecrate themselves, but Jesse's family had to do it through Samuel. Verse six and seven. When they came, he looked on Eliam and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Samuel had an idea that he, he knew who to pick. He walks up to Eliab, he's the firstborn. He's tall, he's handsome, you know what? He looks a lot like Saul. This has got to be the king. God said, oh no, we're not going to pick him. I'm not looking at the outside. I'm looking at the inside. We all need to be looking at the inside, is what he says. Here's the key. God is looking at the inner heart, and it's all about the inner self. God looks at our character and not our outward appearance. It is all about your character. I tell my kids from the tiny little... It is all about your character. Don't ruin that part. I have to explain to you. You know, you take a triangle, and the way the world is, is that you start at the bottom. Everybody heard that? Well, you got to start at the bottom, and you got to work your way up. And you work your way up into this triangle, and now you're over a bunch of these people on the bottom, and there's fewer and fewer people that are on top. And your entire goal is to get to the top of that, to be the leader, to be the winner, right? That's how the world looks at it. How does God look at it, though? He says, the greatest of you in the kingdom of heaven are going to be ones that serve the most. He turns the triangle upside down. Everybody starts right here. And the more that they serve, the more that they have the character of what God is looking for. Totally opposite of what we usually look for. So the world looks at our resumes. They look at our accomplishments. They look at our past performances. They look at our degrees to see if we qualify. Nathan has passed all that. But now we're going to be looking at his inner heart. We want to know what his inner being is to see if God has picked him for us. You see what's happening here? What a great thing. People get married because of their good looks. You know, you people you hear them say, oh man, that is a good looking couple. And then the couple goes into private and they find out they don't get along anymore and they have all kinds of problems because they didn't take the time to look on the inside. They just looked at the outside. It's all about your character. It's all about being the least so that you'd be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's all about being a servant and having a servant's heart. Look at verse eight through 10. <clears throat> Is this good stuff or what? I mean, am I the only one that likes this and excited? Man, I love this stuff. It says, then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Saul. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse said, Shema passed by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Now it's interesting, he mentions the first three guys in the family. 
they end up coming up in chapter 17 because they went to war with Saul over the Philistines. And you remember in chapter 17, we're gonna to get to that in another couple of weeks, that's where they went ahead and, and challenged Goliath. So he mentions their names. The other four aren't mentioned, not sure exactly why, but the idea is that Samuel got the hint. He got what God was looking for after a little bit. He said, oh, it's not the biggest and the tallest. It's not the second one either. It's not the third one. Okay, let's run through the rest of them. Who is it? <clears throat> David was by himself and he was out in the fields. Verse 11. It says, Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. And behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. David was out by himself. He was the most insignificant one of the eight. He was found out there and he was focused and he was going ahead and taking care of the sheep. <clears throat> you can imagine what the brothers thought when he was going to be anointed. This is where David went ahead and started writing Psalms. Remember Psalm 23, the good shepherd? In Psalm 8, he describes the heavens. He's looking up in a place by himself and worshiping God and discovering God. In Psalm 19, the heavens declare his glory and the law of the Lord is perfect. David was working on his character while he was out there by himself with those miserable sheep. Isn't that something? In fact, look at, uh, just skip over into 17. I was just looking at this this morning as I was running through this real quick. I didn't have a lot of time to do this, so I thought I would run through it. And it says in verse 8 in 28 of chapter 17, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard, <clears throat> he spoke, heard when he had spoke to men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the pasture? He was demeaning his entire existence and his job. What about them few sheep? David, why aren't you taking care of them? You see, I, he was like the black sheep of the family, to say it that way. But he was the least of the least. And yet God went ahead and picked him. Verse 12. It says, and he sent and brought him in. By the way, in verse 11, you see that? He says, I'm not even gonna sit down until you get him. Samuel finally got it. He knew that he needed to anoint somebody and they needed to get him anointed so that Samuel would continue and do what the God had told him to do. And in verse 12, it says, send and get him. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Now we have to go ahead and kind of look at what David looked like. This guy was charismatic and he commanded attention. I mean, he had come to love the Lord out there and people knew who David was. He says he was ruddy. Ruddy means that he had good looking skin. He had like a light pink tannish look. You know, he, he, was, he had a healthy skin. He had a health about him. The Hebrew high says that he had large liquid eyes. He went ahead and flattered all the ladies of the time. They loved this guy. It says that he was handsome. He batted his eyes and the women just went crazy, right? They loved David. But see, that's David's appearance from the outside, right? 
We already talked about we're not looking at the outside. So let's skip down to verse 18 of chapter 16. It says here, one of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, a presence. And oh, by the way, the Lord is with him. Look at the characteristics that they're pointing out about David. This isn't about his looks or anything. This is about his character. Like it says that he played well. He played, he played a harp. And a lot of people envision this huge harp and he's wandering around, you know, carrying and you know, trying to catch sheep. It was, it was just a little instrument. It was like a lyre. It was closer to a guitar than what it was a harp that he could carry it around and he could make music. And so it was just a skin that was put over a drum and then they put a, the strings on it. And that's what he was playing. The second part, he says he was brave. Lions and tigers and bears. Never heard that? Oh my. That wasn't David. David would go running after him. He was so fast that when a sheep was in the mouth of a lion, he would run it down and then he would kill it with his bare hands. This guy was an athlete. He was like one of the first football players you ever saw. He tackled that lion and killed it. He tackled that bear and he'd kill it, right? He was a stud. And how, what, a, what a combination. He played a musical instrument and sang, and he was in sports. When you were in school, you were either one or the other, remember? Either you were a jock, you were cool, and if, you know what I mean, or vice versa. You didn't do both, but David had both. He was both of them. Look at that. He stood up for what he believed in. You know, you got this famous song that we're going to go ahead and, and review in a couple different chapters in David's life. And it sings like this. And even the people in Gath knew it. Goliath's family knew it. And it said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. That guy was brave. He knew what he believed in. And he was wise. It says that he knew how to handle a conversation. You know, he, he was well-spoken. He knew what he was talking about. He thought... Clearly, right? He, he worked his way clearly through things that he talked about. He possessed good character, it says. He presented well. He would grab your attention. But most importantly, he had a relationship with God. He knew the Lord, and the Lord was with him. By the way, if you're looking at this, he hasn't killed the giant yet, right? That's chapter 17. All this is attributed to David before he even killed the giant. He was already from his youth in the right direction. Youth, you have such the advantage to go ahead and take God into your heart and turn into something before you get old like us, right? Make it something magic. That's what David had done. He was young and he made it happen. <clears throat> Verse 13 of chapter 16. The Samuel took horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Verse 13 is an interesting one. He anointed David in front of his brothers. Let me remind you of another story. It's, how, about, how about Joseph? The last child. What did his brothers do? They sold him into slavery. They wanted no part of him. They wanted to get rid of him. Same spot now. David's despised by all of them because you know what? He's going to be the king. It means he's going to be all of their boss. I bet that didn't go very well with them. That didn't sit well. It reminds you of Cinderella. Remember, they, she goes ahead and they had this like golden slipper or whatever. And so all the, 
well, we won't call them fat chicks or whatever, but they all came in and they, they couldn't get their foot in the shoe, right? But here was the Cinderella and she finally got her foot in the shoe and they said, oh, that's the one, that's David. He was picked, it was amazing. And it says here, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. It rushed him upon him in such a magnificent way and it never left him is what it said from that day forward. Can you imagine? This was when he was 15 or 16 years old. He was writing Psalms after that. He was playing music. He was fighting. He was everything. And he was doing it all to the glory of God. Can you imagine the songs that he wrote? We're gonna go into some of the Psalms and why he wrote them. Why did, when David was doing dumb stuff, he was writing and apologizing to God and giving God the glory. This all came because the spirit of the Lord was on him. Imagine the songs that he wrote. Imagine the things that he played. But imagine his heart and how it grew to love the Lord. And verse 14 is one of the most pathetic. It says, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit for the Lord tormented him. David got the spirit and Saul lost it. Now we can't do that anymore in the church age. We get the Holy Spirit and we have the Holy Spirit in our lives and it helps direct us continually. We can't lose the Holy Spirit, but back then the Spirit of God came and went. But the Spirit never departed from David. It had now departed from Saul and it never returned. Saul got more nuts as it went. As we go all the rest of the way through first Psalm, you're gonna see how notorious he ended up being. Let's read Psalm, verse Samuel 18, verse 12. We'll just skip over there. We'll be there in a couple weeks, but it says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. God, Saul wasn't with the Lord no more. That's why he feared him. We have nothing to fear because we have the Lord with us. That's what he's telling us, right? We have the Lord with us. We have nothing to fear. What a great testimony. So how did David become king? In 1 Samuel 13, 14, it says, the Lord sought him and the Lord commanded him. In Psalm 89, 20, it says, I have found David and anointed him. In Psalm 78, 70, he says, he chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. And in 1 Samuel 16, 11, we just had read it, he provided him. God's providing himself and is God providing us a youth pastor? We're gonna find out because we're gonna examine from the heart and we're not gonna worry about the looks. We're gonna do what God wants and continue to go ahead and pray on these things. God wants to see our hearts in this matter. He wants to see redemption grow. We're one of the biggest churches in this community. I think we're the biggest if you count our numbers. But that has nothing to do it. If we had no heart of the Lord, we missed the whole point. Numbers that matter in that. He is asking us to grab the heart of the Lord. And that is what we're investigating from this. As we see David today, and we're looking back at his life and studying him further, he had one of the greatest characteristics, and this is how he had the Lord, is that he confessed. Every time he did something dumb, he confessed it. And he got right with the Lord. That's why he had the heart of the Lord. He made it right with God. As you know, I was a painter for a little while. And um, I would go into a house the next day. <clears throat> and no matter what you did, 
I would tell everybody that was going in with me and said, these people are gonna go ahead and complain for the first three, four minutes we're in the house about the one thing that you missed and they're not gonna talk about the 99% that we got right so far. All right, just listen to them and then let's get that right and let's move on. Let's confess, let's get it out of our system and let's make it right. That's where David was. He wasn't always good and he needed to be humbled. And that's what we need to be is humbled, that we do make mistakes, we do sin, but we need to call upon the Lord. You know, it's sad that we define people sometimes by the one or two mistakes or one or two sins that they make and we forget about all the good that they did. God sees failure as the exception, not the rule. He forgives us as far as the east is from the west when we confess our sin to him. And that's what makes us right with the Lord. That's what gave David the heart of the Lord. Thank God for looking at our successes and forgetting our failures. What an amazing, wonderful, forgiving God that we serve. Father, we just thank you for being able to look at this, for being able to look at what Samuel had done, what God had done, what the people had done. And Lord, we just know that you are calling us to look on the heart, to look on the inner things, to look on the quality within each one of our lives and not the outward appearance. Lord, we just pray that we would examine ourselves and find ourselves true to you. Humble us in these things. Lord, we thank you that you are the wonderful, amazing God that you are, that you forgive us and that you've called us your friend, that you've called us to be with you, called us to be in the heavenly places one day. Lord, help us to stay focused on that. And we'll thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.